Welcome to Talk World Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. This week on Talk World Radio, we're discussing nuclear weapons and war. Our guest is Ken Mayers, who is a member of Veterans for Peace and currently and uh, for some time in the past, a a board member of Veterans for Peace. Uh, Ken's story includes the Marine Corps paying his way through Princeton as an NROTC scholarship holder. He graduated with a degree in electrical engineering in 1958 and accepted a commission as a regular Marine Corps officer intending to make the service his career but his experience as an instrument of U.S. foreign policy drove him out of the Corps at the end of 1966 when he returned to graduate studies at UC Berkeley, earning a PhD in so-called political science. In 1986, Ken was recruited into Veterans for Peace by then President John Barr, another former career Marine Corps officer. In July 2002, Ken co-founded the Santa Fe, New Mexico chapter of Veterans for Peace. Ken was a member of the National VFP Board of Directors from 2004 to 2009 and National Treasurer from 2005 through 2009 and again elected to the board in 2020. Ken Mayers, welcome back to Talk World Radio. Thank you very much, David. It's a pleasure to be here. Great to have you on. Uh, And the reason, of course, for having you on uh, in particular is that you and others in Veterans for Peace, uh, in anticipation of the Biden administration's nuclear posture review, have put out your own nuclear posture review, right? That is correct. And I should point out that it was a team effort. Several of us from the Veterans for Peace uh, Nuclear Abolition Working Group developed this uh, nuclear posture review. One of the key members uh, drafting it was a member of your board of directors, uh, Alice Slater, also associated with the New York chapter of Veterans for Peace. And she did the kind of central hard work and with full of citations uh, showing what were the sources of information in our nuclear posture review. Uh, So it was published uh, this past Wednesday and gotten uh, rave reviews from the choir, but we certainly want to try to reach out beyond the choir with it and uh, have plans to deliver it to every member of Congress, um, the White House and Pentagon offices and so forth. And Maris, when you say your board of directors, you're referring to World Beyond War, a, a, an organization that I'm the director of. And Alex Peter is a is a great board member there. Um, so if we're if we're reaching beyond the choir to people who are interested but not intimately familiar, maybe we should tell them what is a nuclear posture review. Okay. Well, every administration since 1994 has at some point during the course of the presidential administration issued a nuclear posture review, which is more or less a framework for what the United States nuclear developments will be in the course of that administration. And from the very beginning, those uh, nuclear posture reviews have always gone successively into more, bigger, more destructive, and so forth, uh, and which is tilting the posture strongly towards war. And we felt this posture needed to be corrected. 
so we developed a nuclear posture review uh, with a specific intention of developing a posture which would lean us towards peace rather than towards war and away from the destructive policies that have been in place, uh, well, essentially ever since World War II, but articulated in this series of nuclear posture reviews. You seem to have rather good, if that's the word for it, timing uh, in that I believe also last week, uh, the the scientists uh, announced that the doomsday clock was staying as close to the end of the world as possible without reaching it. uh, And the United States and Russia seem to have gotten themselves closer to a nuclear war than we've seen in in decades, right? That that is certainly the case. And we're seeing that, um, you know, veterans for for, for peace is in good company with hundreds of scientists who've also signed on to getting nuclear weapons and terrific um, article by, Dan Ellsberg, who happens to be a member of Veterans for Peace, uh, to abolish uh, our ICBMs as as a major step. And that's that's included in our nuclear posture review. Uh, What we've done in the nuclear posture review is to take a look at what our posture has been vis-a-vis the other nuclear powers. uh, And also uh, we've added Iran to the list that that we talk about in the nuclear posture review and indicate how our posture should change with respect to each of the nuclear powers, uh, both those who are uh, in our camp, so to speak, uh, and those who are uh, recognized as being, um, if not enemies, at least uh, somewhat in conflict with us. And, and we've come up with a total then of 16 different uh, proposals for correcting the posture. Uh, and the first set of proposals are directed towards unilateral, unilateral moves that the United States could make without having to get the approval of uh, the rest of the world, so to speak. And the next set are negotiations that we should be pursuing uh, with our adversaries as well as our friends. And the, and the final uh, proposals have to do with implementing uh, the result of negotiations and cleaning up some of the mess we've left through our uh, all decades of nuclear development. I think you're, you're using the first person both for Veterans for Peace and for the U.S. military. I, I imagine most people are following along when it, when it means which thing. Uh, but uh, do you want to go into the, the specifics of what those 16 recommendations are? Well, well I certainly can. And uh, I'll refer to the document itself, which incidentally uh, is easily available on Veteransforpeace.org. And so so the first group that have to do with things that we could do unilaterally uh, begins with, whoops, I'm looking at the wrong document. Well, basically begins with declaring a no first use policy and demonstrating the genuine nature of that change in policy by separating the warheads from our nuclear weapons. Uh, Then we want to decommission 
the ICBMs uh, and get rid of them as Van Ellsberg has, has proposed. Uh, just, just in case, because there's not an acronym that somebody doesn't know what it means. Could you, could you spell out the words for the, ICBM? ICBMs are the Internet Intercontinental Ballistic Missiles, which we have uh, stationed in silos in several uh, Midwest and mountain states uh, where they are sitting targets. They can only be used in a first strike because uh, it would be too late to use them for retaliatory mess because they're going to be the first targets of any power that was foolish enough to launch a nuclear weapon. Uh, so uh, we urge getting rid of them, as Dan Ellsberg has, has argued quite persuasively. There's a sort of a danger of a very fast second strike, though, isn't there? If the United States were to suspect uh, that someone else had begun a nuclear war, uh, it would want to, uh, in, the, in its insanity, to immediately launch all of those ICBMs because they're sitting targets, right? But of course, I mean, as a second strike, frankly, and even even uh, uh, I believe uh, President Biden has indicated that it's hard for him to conceive of a situation in which we'd use them. A second strike, if we were to launch those ICBMs, it would bring on global destruction. It would bring on a nuclear winter, um, the crop failures, starvation, uh, a, a protracted death for those who weren't immediately destroyed by the nuclear weapons themselves. So that, uh, frankly, I, I see no situation in which those weapons um, make any sense to be used first or second strike. But the danger of having them is that uh, by having them, since they can't be recalled uh, once they're launched, if an enemy uh, perceives, whether it's through, you know, electronic malfunctions or, or any other purpose, that conceives that they're being attacked, they'll launch their weapons. Uh, just as if we perceive we're being attacked, uh, launch our ICBMs uh, and then find out that, oh, we weren't being attacked after all, which has happened in several instances as, as you have documented in some of your uh, work, uh, so that it, it makes no sense to have them. It puts us in a more dangerous condition, far from being uh, part of our security, it's part of our insecurity to have those weapons. And some countries, uh, Ken Mayer, some countries like China have the missiles and have the weapons but they don't have the weapons loaded on the missiles ready to go in a split second decision, right? They'd have to actually put some thought into the decision to destroy life on earth. Wouldn't that be an option in the, a, a, a baby step in the right direction? Yes, and indeed that's uh, one of the recommendations in our nuclear posture review. In fact, it's in the very first uh, recommendation is declare no first use policy and implement it by removing the warheads uh, from our missiles. Indeed, when China first tested its first nuclear weapon in 1964, they declared that they would never be the first to use a nuclear weapon. Uh, and they've uh, demonstrated this intention. 
uh, by separating warheads from the nuclear weapons. And this is something we could do. It's a verifiable move if we could persuade all the nuclear uh, powers uh, to also agree to no first use and remove the weapons. It'd be a tremendous, you'd be able to move the, the nuclear clock back, I think, several minutes just from that one decision. And the thing is that if America were to make that decision, if the United States were to make that decision, it would set an example that it would be difficult for other countries to resist following. Absolutely. In fact, the Soviet Union, uh, when it was still the Soviet Union, uh, had a no first use policy uh, that was uh, initiated by uh, Khrushchev, I believe, and then was revoked 10 years later by Brezhnev. Uh, so that the Soviet Union had one in the past and because of our policies uh, reinstalled uh, uh, or I don't know if they had separated the warheads, but they had declared the policy, they reversed the policy. So that the United States can be a leader, can, has the power to be a good example, if only it would choose to do so. I think you're absolutely right that other countries would take that step and that it would be a, a sort of a reverse arms race underway. Uh, although Mikhail Gorbachev, another former leader of the of the Soviet Union, the last one, has said that unless the United States scales back its so-called conventional weapons and its bases and its ships and its belligerents around the world, other nations are going to refuse to get rid of their nuclear weapons because they they believe that's their that's their protection. Um, so it, it may be it may be that a nuclear reverse arms race requires a wider reverse arms race. Well, I, th I think you're right, and in fact, in our uh, nuclear posture review, we include uh, the proposal to remove the nuclear umbre umbrella that we have provided to uh, the NATO countries, uh, as well as Japan and South Korea. Um, but this is in the negotiations section of our proposals. So this is something that would need to be negotiated uh, with our allies and with adversaries, because I think what we would be pushing toward, although we don't use this terminology in the nuclear posture review, is to create in effect a, uh, might say a no man's land in, uh, in Eastern Europe. Uh, you know, these essentially what uh, Putin has been asking for and the demands he's putting on the current negotiations that have been focusing on Ukraine. Uh, so that this would have to be negotiated out, but it would involve a decrease in conventional weapons and particularly a, a pulling back of conventional weapons from the areas where they're most likely to engage in combat. And so that, that, that certainly I think goes along with it. I think some people, though you may want to remind them, are aware of countries that have nuclear weapons that they admit to having and claim as their own. Uh, but I think a lot of people are unaware that the United States keeps nuclear weapons, uh, arguably in violation of international treaty, in a number of other people's countries. Can you talk that's about that? 
that that's correct. We do have we do have nuclear weapons in Germany where there is increasing resistance to having them. Uh, we have uh, nuclear weapons uh, in. Off you can probably pull out the names faster than I can. Netherlands, uh, Belgium, Italy, Turkey. Yeah, and 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 think back to when the Cuban Missile Crisis uh, historically uh, was resolved, although it wasn't made public at the time, by pulling our missiles out of Turkey. In fact, one of our chapter members here in the Santa Fe chapter of Veterans for Peace was actually stationed in Turkey with those nuclear weapons at the time of the Cuban Missile Crisis and was very happy to leave Turkey along with the weapons. I'm glad the weapons were leaving along with them. We're speaking with Kenneth Mayers from Veterans for Peace. They've published a nuclear posture review. You can find it at veteransforpeace.org. Ken, what, a, what about the question of simply obeying laws? I, I mean, there are quite a number of treaties that uh, the United States still claims to be party to, used to be party to, but tore them up uh, or has never signed on to. Uh, what's, what's the state of law and nuclear weapons? Well, it would be sort of a new American revolution if we would decide that treaties was something we should observe and maintain over years of time because we, we have a strong history of abrogating treaties, uh, taking ourselves out of treaties, and simply out of, out and out violating treaties. I mean, again, kind of relating to the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, the treaty which established our naval base in Guantanamo Bay said that it was to be used solely as a fueling station, uh, that no other purpose would be permitted. Well, Look where we are now. No, you're absolutely right. I think that fueling hatred of the United States around the world—that's what it's. Fueling. Yeah. So if we could, if we could somehow develop the habit of paying attention to our treaties, that'd be a great step in the right direction. And and one of them, is the Non-Proliferation Treaty, uh, arguably forbids putting all those nukes in those five other countries, and certainly requires working with the other nuclear armed governments to disarm and get rid of the things. Nobody that, that, complying with that one. That's correct. And none of the nuclear powers have been heeding uh, what they agreed to in the non-proliferation treaty uh, to work towards the rapid uh, elimination of nuclear weapons. Uh, they all continue. Uh, we're not the only ones, but we are certainly the leading one along with the Soviet Union. And if we, as I say, I think if we were to reverse course on that, I think the rest of the nuclear weapon countries would follow. And they've all, the, the five great nuclear powers, uh, you know, the ones that have signed on to the non-proliferation treaty, have all recently agreed to a statement saying that uh, nuclear war cannot be won and must never be fought. Uh, but it's time to make them all live up to their commitments. And I think if, if the United States were to take a lead, uh, I think the others would be hard pressed not to follow. And, and these are what, United States, Russia, China, France, yeah. UK, and Great Britain, 
and and the and the four others that aren't pretending to to comply with the treaty because they aren't joining it are uh, Israel, <laughs> Pakistan, India, and who am I forgetting? Uh, That's it. But of course, then Iran being. Uh, question of whether it's going to continue or not. And, and that's one of the other. Uh, well, I think North Korea is the one I'm forgetting. I'm, oh, right, right. I'm forgetting okay. Iran because Iran does not have nuclear. That's right. But, but one of the things that we include in the nuclear posture review is urging to a return to the, uh, to the Iran deal. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and you also urge uh, support for the new treaty that uh, just last week hit the one year mark since it went into effect, right? That's correct. The, uh, uh, the treaty for the prevention of the prohibition of nuclear weapons. Uh, in fact, we celebrated it here in our part of the world by going up to Los Alamos to the, the belly of the beast and, and having a celebration of the TPNW in hopes of giving Los Alamos some indigestion. I, I hope to see some, some photos. I've been seeing them from around the world. People have been doing events uh, celebrating that treaty. Um, but I will send you some. And, and the, the treaty itself has provisions in it for the existing nuclear states uh, for bringing them in with a, uh, a scheduled uh, elimination of uh, nuclear weapons. Uh, in, uh, in contrast to that trend of, of stronger, more comprehensive treaties banning nukes entirely, uh, it seems to be growing around the world. What is the actual uh, state of US military planning. I, I mean, it, it seems that they're building more nukes and bigger nukes and smaller nukes and talking about usable nukes, whatever that could mean. Well, that's what that's what's in the plan. And uh, if the and this started in the Obama administration, the modernization program, uh, and was extended in the Trump administration, where Trump uh, added uh, smaller nukes to the proposed modernization of our nuclear forces. Uh, and it was anticipated that it would take uh, 1.5 to $2 trillion over the next few decades to completely modernize our force. So it would not just be the weapons themselves that be new warheads to de develop. There would be a complete set of new, quote, ground-based deterrents. In other words, uh, replacing the Minutemen, which are now in the silos. Uh, it would mean a new class of submarines, Ohio-class uh, nuclear uh, submarines, uh, new uh, Air Force bombers, uh, the whole nuclear capability would yeah. be modernized at tremendous cost. And of course, not just tremendous dollar cost, but tremendous opportunity costs and all the things which are really much more urgent security uh, measures than our armed forces are. And that is dealing with global climate uh, crisis, dealing with pandemics, dealing with our decaying infrastructure, dealing with our sad situation of underpaying teachers and nurses and so forth. All of those are impacted by this nuclear modernization process. 
And, and there seems to be very, very little awareness or concern that it's even going on or, or that the or that the doomsday clock is where it is. Uh, mm -hmm. There was there was this movie recently, uh, Don't Look Up, about a meteor coming to hit the Earth. Uh, and never once in the movie do they mention climate change, which would be much slower than nuclear apocalypse. Uh, but universally, that's, you know, that, that's what the producers of the thing say it's about. But uh, if they had said, don't look at the nuclear weapons, they got 100% compliance, right? <laughs> nobody, <laughs> nobody's looking at them, right? right. Where, where, has the, where has the concern gone? Well, there's, I think... Uh can be attributed largely to the disintegration of the, the free press. Uh, take over, you know, uh, as, as uh, my friend Ray McGovern uh, says, it's the military, industrial, congressional, intelligence, uh, media, academia, think tank complex. Uh, an expansion of what President Eisenhower warned us about as he was leaving office. Yes. <laughs> and there are, we have like five minutes left, Ken Mayers, there, there are things people are doing. There are divestment campaigns, there are educational campaigns, there are protests. What, what can we do to, to change this trend? Well, I, I'm not sure what, I mean, I know the limited things that I can do and they continue to work on. I think Don't Look Up was a, a, a tremendous lever that, that can be used. I think almost anybody who watches that movie realizes that, that really it is just a direct metaphor for what we're facing in the climate crisis. Uh, and that, unless we approach it with the, the seriousness that you know, I hate to use the war analogy, but it's, 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 a, it's a world war level of effort that is required uh, to turn this thing around and uh, mobilizing public opinion by whatever methods. I mean, I am a great, great proponent of taking to the streets uh, to illustrate what needs to be done. Uh, and it often feels like beating your, my head against the wall. But, you know, I've been at this since I left the Marine Corps in 1966 uh, in greater or lesser degrees. It's sometimes more intense and sometimes less intense, but continually at it. And people have asked me, how can you do it? How can you stand doing it this long? And yeah. I always say, well, you've got to love what you're doing. You've got to love the people you're doing it with. And if you've got to love the people you're doing it for. And yeah. uh, if you keep those in mind, then you can keep at it. And just, I, I also tell people, look, resistance can be fun. Said, so, you know, the world... When the world's going to a hell in a handbasket, it's less depressing if you're trying to do something about it. So yeah. I encourage everybody to get on board and do something about it. I encourage everybody to take a look at our nuclear posture review, share it with friends, share it with media, share it every way you can. And uh, let's get on with turning this country around.
Yeah, the, the only cho- other choice is not continuing to work at it, which is you know far worse. So it seems like, I mean, I wish it was a meteor coming to Earth. It seems like getting the government, the U.S. government to try to do something military uh, is, is easy as pie. I, I mean, I don't know if they could blow up a meteor, but they would darn well be happy to try. They'd try <laughs> it by next Tuesday, right? And we've been speaking with Ken Mayers, who is a member of the board of directors of Veterans for Peace. Go to veteransforpeace.org. Ken, thank you for coming on Talk World Radio. Uh, Well, thank you for inviting me. Pleasure to work with you. This is Talk World Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. Read or listen to today's Peace Almanac entry at peacealmanac.org. All past shows can be heard at talkworldradio.org. Talk World Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way.